Thank you, sir. I had to get a last-minute charge this morning from my iPad. My son sort of killed the battery this morning. Have kids, they said. It'll be fun, they said. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, <laughs> if you would be taking your Bibles and turning with me to the book of Acts, we'll be in Acts chapter 3 uh, and 4 this morning. We're not going to look at every uh, verse here. We just don't have time uh, to, to get into all of it. And so, but, but I do want to uh, just continue walking through this, this book that we have been studying over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've called this series, Now What?, the reason we call it now what is because uh, what we see happen in the Gospels is that Jesus dies for our sins. He pays the penalty for our sins. He is buried. And then he rises again on the third day. And after he rises again, he ascends uh, back to the Father, the, uh, ever present at the, the Father's right hand, making intercession for the saints. And so we believe that Jesus has died for us. We believe that Jesus is alive. Now what? Where do we go from here? Where, where do we go from trusting on Christ as our Savior? Where do, we, where do his people go? Where do the folks who are trusting on him go? Well, this morning we're going to look at the, the next step here in chapters 3 and 4 of Acts at how the resurrection of Jesus changes the world, how he changes the world uh, uh, around us. And the answer that we're going to find is that Jesus changes the world through his people through those who follow him, through those who trust on him. That we're going to see that we are called to follow Christ, and as we follow Christ, we follow him out into the world as his witnesses, as those who share the gospel, as those who live out the gospel and live out the faith that we've been given. And as we do that, as we're faithful to him, he changes the world through his people, through his followers. And so, very first thing this morning, first point here is that Jesus' followers change the world through loving people. Jesus' followers change the world through loving people. And we see this in the first section of Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Would you join me one more time in prayer this morning? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you give us your word. God, I thank you that how you reveal yourself to us, how that we can know you. God, I thank you for the strength that you give us uh, through the Holy Spirit this morning. God, I pray that you would empower uh, the preaching of your word, that you would give strength to the hearing of your word. And God, that we would see true change as we study your word together, as you make your word alive to us this morning, as you reveal yourself to us and reveal what, is it, what it is you've called us to do. And as you do that, Lord, would you give us the strength and the ability and the grace to do what it is you've called us to. God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
And so we, we see Peter and John showing love to this man that's sitting on the temple steps. He's sitting there because his people would go back and forth from the temple. He would receive alms from them. He's, he's lame from birth. He has no way to support himself. He has no way to fend for himself. And so he has to rely on uh, the, the benefit of the love or the concern of people who are walking back and forth beside him. He has to rely on the charity of strangers in order to, to be able to survive. Well, and so John and Peter are walking up the temple, and he's sitting there, and he asks them for alms. He asks them for money. And so Peter and John stop, and they, they tell him to look at them. They tell him, look at us. Now, this may not seem like that big of a deal to us, but, but I want you to think about what's going on in, in Jerusalem during this time with Peter and John, especially Peter. Remember Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon, and, and at least 3,000 people come to know Christ. Sounds like he, Peter's going to be a pretty busy guy. Like overnight, he becomes a megachurch pastor. Like what is he supposed to do? How is he supposed to help all these people? Here you have all these, not, not long-term Christians, not seasoned saints, but brand new believers in the faith. I imagine Peter has quite a few irons in the fire, don't you? I imagine he's a pretty busy guy. You know, we sometimes want to compare, you know, how busy we are with other people and try and prove we're busier. I'm pretty sure Peter's about as busy as it gets at this point in his life. But he stops, and he shows love by paying attention to this poor beggar sitting on the steps. He doesn't get the big head. He doesn't begin to believe that he's so important he doesn't have time for this one person. No, he stops so that, and pays attention to this man in his need and in his misery. We could be reminded of that this morning. Just stop and take time and pay attention to the people around us. It's really hard to show love if you don't know what's going on with other people. It's really hard to know how to express love to them if you don't pay attention to them. And, and, and as I was thinking through this and praying through this, I mean, I, th this is something that you know, God sort of pierced me through the heart with because I, I'm, a lot of times I'm pretty good at minding my own business. But here this, this reminds me that you know, sometimes it's not the best thing to do to mind your own business. In fact, your business is the need of the people around you. We're called to love and pay attention to the needs of those around us. And so we, we see Peter and John doing this. We see that, that he stops and he says, look at us. We have something to say to you. And so uh, what we see here in verse 5 is this. He fixed his attention on them. This guy looks at them expecting to receive something from them. And so he's like, okay, so these guys are going to give me some money. They're going to help me out. This is a good thing. Then verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And so Peter, he doesn't have any money. So does he just keep on walking? No. He stops and he gives this man something so much better than money. He gives him the ability to get up. And to walk himself, he gives him the ability that he'd never had. This man was born lame. He'd never known what it is to walk. And on this moment, he goes from walking to dancing and praising the Lord. 
Imagine this God's life. I mean, it's one thing to give him money and keep walking. It's quite another to give him the ability to get up. If Peter had just simply given this man money and kept walking, this guy would have still been sitting there the next day. Peter did something far greater than this. And here we, we almost kind of see a picture of the gospel, don't we? We see the power of the gospel. When Jesus comes into our hearts and into our lives and we experience his power, we, we don't have to continue sitting where we were. He, he gives us the strength and the power to get up out of that situation we were in. He gives us the strength and power to move forward in life and to, to serve him and to glorify him with our joy and praising him. He doesn't leave us where we were. Our goal in loving others should always be to help them grow stronger and, and help them get out of whatever hard situation they're in. Not simply just giving money but paying attention and doing all that we can to help them be stronger help them be who god has called them to be all because peter stopped and he paid attention all because god empowered him to be able to do this i wanted to point out as, as we're walking through this that the only way this happens is that peter and john are around other people they're around people that aren't part of their group going to the temple they're, they're, they're going with other Jewish people who have still probably not trusted on Christ. They're getting outside of their comfort zone. I remember uh, whenever we were kids, me and Jason sometimes, he, he may remember it differently than I do. As, as I realize, you know, my brother's here, so I have to actually start watching what I say. Maybe, it, maybe this is how it happened, maybe it isn't. It's been so long. But anyway, you can fact check with him later. But I remember when we were younger, sometimes when we got a new fishing pole or a new bait, we, we wouldn't want to wait on Dad to take his fishing, and so we would try it out in the yard. We'd start casting out in the yard. I, terrible, right? I mean, terrible for the pole, terrible for the bait and everything. And we would cast, and we would cast, and we would cast. You know how many fish we caught? Throwing on the driveway? None, right? None. It didn't matter how long we stood out there and cast. It didn't matter how perfect of a cast we threw. We caught absolutely zero fish. You know why? There aren't any fish there to catch. What happens, guys, when we spend the majority of our time where there are no fish? We don't catch any. What happens when we spend the majority of our time in life with people who are, who are already believers and who are already Christians? How can we ever show the love of Christ to those who don't know Christ if we're never around them? We see here in Peter and John that they are intentional about getting outside of their little group and actually interacting with those who don't know Christ, those who have not become believers. Yes, we, we need fellowship time. Yes, we need Bible study time. Yes, we need to grow in our faith together. But we also need to move past these walls with that faith and to take that love that Christ has given us to people, to people who need it. We change the world. God, Jesus changes the world through those who follow him as we follow him out into the world and show them the love that Christ has shown us. As he works through us. Now we, we maybe aren't able to do what happens here with you know, all, all the time where, where we see that, you know, Peter and John are able to heal this man, or Jesus is able to heal this man's legs through Peter and John. This seems to be a, an instance that, you know, we don't see as often anymore. But we, we can invest in people's lives we can see the gospel change people's lives things that are just as miraculous i mean and, and you may say well this guy of course he's leaping and praising god through the temple why wouldn't he he went from not being able to walk to being able to walk and not just walk but dance he has a lot to praise god for i'd be leaping and dancing too if god did that for me 
Well, let me ask you a question. What exactly did he do for you in Christ? Did he not give you a new heart? Did he not forgive you of your sins and give you a place with him in heaven? Why do we not leap and dance and praise God for the salvation he has provided? As if him healing our legs would be so much more valuable than an eternal life with him. We need, we need to remember the perspective that we're looking at these things through and be reminded of what we have been given in him. And so verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This man's life is so changed that uh, these people realize that he is not, he, he is that guy, but he is no longer uh, in, lame. He's able to get up and he's able to move and he's able to, to worship the Lord. And they are amazed at what God is doing through his uh, life. Look at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, you know, all these people are gathering together. They're, they're crowding in uh, on, on Peter and John. That, that they're surrounding them, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to get close enough to them so they can maybe shake their hand or whatever. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. You notice what Peter's doing. He's immediately addressing a problem that's about to happen. He sees it about to take place. These people are about to begin to glorify Peter, about to begin to glorify John and begin to say how amazing they are. And he cuts it off at the pass. He immediately begins to shift the glory and and, and shift uh, the credit for this miracle to God. He, He puts it off of himself. He takes the spotlight off of himself. Guys, this is really important. When we start to serve the Lord, if all we care about is people seeing us, and we want to go around and we want everybody to praise us for all that we have done, we've missed it. If we're worried about getting credit for showing love to people around us, we are in trouble. He's not going to be glorified through that. Our goal is to get the, 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 light, the spotlight off of, us and, off of us and back onto Christ. And so he says, why are you amazed at this? I don't have any power. It's not through my power. It's not through my strength. Peter is confessing here he doesn't have the ability to heal anyone. And he says, or piety. It's not his his personal holiness that makes this take place. It's not his religion that makes this take place. This is not the act of Peter. This is the act of God. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release him, but you denied at the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Talk about throwing cold water on everybody coming to talk to you, right? You killed the author of life. We'll come back to that here in a minute. Verse 16, and he, he, he points out where the power comes from and his name. By faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Hear what Peter is saying. He's saying it's not about me. 
It's not about my strength. It's not about uh, my faith. It's, It's about my faith in Christ. It's about my trust in who Jesus is. That is what has made this man whole. Jesus is the one who healed him. Peter's like, I I was just here. I have no power. I simply trust the one who does have power. As we share the gospel and as we we attempt to show love to the people around us and as we attempt to, you know, have God change the world through us, we have to remember, guys, it's not about us. It's not about our strength, about our power. It's about, about Christ and what he is doing through us. And so we see Peter saying, it's not about who I am, it's about who he is. When you you share the gospel and when you show kindness and when you show love, who are you concerned about getting the credit? Are you concerned about glorifying yourself? Or are you concerned about glorifying the one whom you serve? Are you pointing people away from yourself to him? Guys, if we really love the people in our life and we really want to show love, we will always, always point them back to Christ. It will never be about us. It won't even be about them. It's ultimately about him. It's about the, the one we have trusted in. And so we, we, we see this over and over again throughout the book of Acts where people are pointing themselves, pointing away from themselves back to Christ. Jesus is the point. And so Jesus' followers change the world as they love people. Secondly, Jesus' followers change the world through sharing the, the good news or sharing the gospel. As we share the gospel, the world around us is changed. We are called to be witnesses. Guys, our mission is actually extremely simple. We complicate it constantly, but it's actually really simple. Tell people who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and how he has changed our lives and how he wants to change theirs. That's our mission and our message. Like, it, it's simple. It's not complicated. It's not hard. Well, it is hard sometimes. Let's be honest. It is hard. It's not hard to figure out, though, what we're called to do. But, but. And you remember this morning that the good news begins with bad news. If you would look back with me at verse 13. As Peter is defining or, and describing this miracle and how this miracle took place, you notice what he does here. He begins by condemning the people who are walking up to him. He says that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. So hear what Peter is saying. He is saying, you have the evidence. God showed you who Jesus is. He showed you that he is the Savior, but you denied him in the presence of Pilate. And he goes on and he says, when he, Pilate, had decided to release him. And so Pilate was going to set Jesus free, but the Jews said, no, don't release him. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one. And ask for a murderer to be granted to you. He's saying, Jesus is holy and righteous. He is the holy and righteous one. And you chose a murderer in his place. And then verse 15, it gets worse. They go from choosing a murderer to becoming murderers. And you killed the author of life. You are responsible for killing the one who put breath in your lungs. That is his opening. Talk about getting people's attention. That's his introduction. Y'all, y'all sometimes, you know, you're like, man, here comes another Josiah and Zoe story at the beginning. What if I open with this every week? You murderers, you killed the author of life, right? I mean, that's how he starts his, his gospel presentation to these people. He, he says, you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. The bad news here 
is that they are guilty. They are guilty of, the, uh, of being culpable in the death of God's own son. And so I, I want to get to the good news, and we'll talk about the bad news again here in a second. The good news is that Jesus did not stay dead, but that God raised him from the dead. And Peter says here, to this we are wit- his, uh, witnesses. We have seen that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is not dead. He is alive. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? It's like Jesus isn't just alive on Easter. He's always alive. He's, he will forever be alive. He is risen from the dead. Look at verse 17 and see the good news. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Did you hear what he just said? Remember, he just got through telling them that they're guilty of killing the author of life. Then he says, if you will repent, if you'll turn from your sin, if you'll turn back from your sin and put your faith in Christ, if you do that, your sins will be blotted out. And this is a reference to how they would write. Sometimes sometimes they would use ink that wouldn't actually, you know, soak into the paper. It would kind of sit on top of the paper and you could could blot it out after the fact to save paper. You kind of wipe it off. Uh, For those of us who ever went to school, we know about the dry erase board, Right? I, and you, you know the, the dread, or, or the chalkboard back in the day. But you, you know the, the, uh, the dread of the teacher writing your name on the board? And y'all ever have your name written on the board? We're all perfect students forever, right? And then sometimes, Johnny, your name's going on the board. Oh, you're still talking a check mark, right? And y'all ever get check marks after your name? Just gets worse and worse. But if, if, it, if it happened in the morning, maybe if you were good all day long and you didn't mess up again, at the end of the day, your teacher may show grace and blot your name out. We'll wipe it off. We'll just forget this ever happened. and We won't call your mama. That's my, my son's hope very often. Did she actually call you today? <laughs> like, you know, but anyway, but I mean, that's what we hope for. We hope that her name was wiped off. Here's the problem, guys. Every single one of our names is written on the board. We are all guilty before God. We all deserve his eternal punishment for rejecting him and for disobeying him and for for sinning against him. But the good news this morning to that bad news is that Jesus, who died, didn't stay dead. He rose again. And he says, whoever turns and believes in him, their name is erased from the board as if it was never there. There's no evidence of our sin. It is gone. It is thrown as far as the east is from the west. It's taken away. The handwriting that was against us is wiped out. That is the hope that he offers us this morning. The hope that we ought to share with the people around us. And and I I want you to think about this this morning. It's not just that, uh, that that he offers this hope to the good people. Remember who who he's talking to. Peter is talking to the people who are guilty of killing the author of life. If you're here this morning, you're like, man, I'm just too bad. I'm just too wicked. You don't know what I've done. I'm one tough cookie. There's no way God could ever forgive me. I'm just too guilty. I feel you. I think we all at some point may, may feel the weight of our sin and may feel as though God could never forgive us. But guys, Peter offers forgiveness 
to the people who are guilty for, of killing the Son of God. God offers forgiveness to those who are guilty of the very blood of the Son of God. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 8 when, it, when he says that he who, who, how could he not give us all things who has given us his Son? Like if he gave us his Son, if he gave us Christ in our place, what is left for him to give? Do you not think he would give you all things? Do you not, is there ever a moment in time where it's going to be, no, that's too much? I can't forgive that when we're guilty of the, of the blood of God's Son. There's nothing left that's more than this. And so what, what Peter is offering, he's offering to you as well. He's offering you the hope of, of forgiveness no matter who you are. He's saying Jesus is, uh, is able to blot out your sins no matter who you are. There's a warning that comes with this. So skip forward, if you would, to verse 23. The, the good news <coughs> is only good news if it gets there in time. Or the good news is only good news if you believe it in time. Verse 23 says, And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. The good news is also a warning. It's a warning that there is coming the storm of God's wrath. And all those who trust in Christ will be protected. All those who trust in Christ will be forgiven. And all those who don't will suffer because of their sins against him. The good news is only good news if you trust on Jesus this morning, guys. There's no, no uh, benefit to having the good news if you have not put your faith in Christ. Have you put your faith in him this morning? Now, I think about all the people that were warned ahead of Hurricane Katrina when it was coming, and they decided to stay anyway. What good was that warning since they did not heed it? What good is the warning that the gospel provides for you this morning if you not trust on him? I, I want to move forward. I, I'll try to, to, to finish quickly here. Look down, if, if you would, to verse 3 of chapter 4, Acts 4.3. I'm sorry, Acts 4.4. 4. So Peter and John are, are arrested. They're put in custody until the next day. Then we see in verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so this group just continues to grow and continues to flourish and more and more people come to Christ. Why or how? And the answer is, is that Jesus' followers changed the world by his power, not their own. By his strength, not their own. Guys, it is not our ability that is going to help anyone. It is the gospel of Jesus. And we need to remember that this morning. You may feel like, man, I'm not powerful enough. I'm not compassionate enough. I'm not smart enough. The truth is, is none of us are enough. Look down at verse 8 with me. Before Peter begins to address the, the religious leaders, listen to what verse 8 says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. And he goes on and he describes what had taken place. And, it, and he basically says what he had already said to the people. But I wanted you to notice it says filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the difference between Peter when he runs away and he hides and he denies Christ in here? He's filled with the Spirit. He's given the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up and preach and do what God has called him to do. And the same is true for us. Apart from his power, apart from his strength, we can do no good thing. Skip down to verse 13 with me, if you would. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished 
And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I'll be honest with you, that, that's a pretty convicting verse. We're reminded here that there's no substitute for time spent with Christ. Education, all the education in the world, all the religious education in the world is worth nothing compared to time spent with Jesus. All the talent in the world is useless without time spent with Jesus. All the strategies we could come with, uh, up with, all the different ways we might try to, to reach out are pointless if we don't spend time with Jesus. Guys, when we begin to lean on our education or our talent or our public standing or our political standing or our strategy without spending time with Christ, we're wasting our time. On the flip side of that, it doesn't matter what disadvantages you have if you have spent time with Christ. It doesn't matter what else is going on if you are spending time with him. He will rub off on you and you will rub off on other people. I remember uh, was it, when Crystal and I first got married, she, she was working at Subway, Eat Fresh, right? Well, anyway, so she, she would come home every day after being at Subway all day, and y- y'all know the smell of Subway's bread? The whole house smelled like Subway. It's like, I have a nibble. No, I was just kidding. But, but anyway, uh, we, every day she would come home, and I mean, the whole house would be filled with the smell of Subway's bread. It, she could not get it off of her. It was on her clothes and her hair. Like, she just smelled like Subway. And I could get, I'm not complaining, but I, I still remember that smell because she had been around it all day. Jesus is the same way. When you spend time with him on a regular basis, and you spend real time with him, you ain't going to be able to hide it. And you don't, you ain't going to be able to fake it. See, see, it's important for us to smell like Jesus. It's important for us when people come in contact with us to, 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 to recognize the aroma of the gospel. as the love that Christ has shown us flows through us to them. And when this happens, guys, verse 14, this changes everything. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. You know where we get ourselves in trouble? We don't focus on Christ. We don't focus on the gospel. We focus on other stuff that really doesn't matter. We put our time and our attention into things that aren't near as important. But when people are saved and people are healed through the gospel, what are you going to say? There's nothing to say in opposition other than, I don't like that. That's all that's left. And it's true. They still, don't, they still don't like the name, right? They still don't want you to pray in the name of Jesus. They still don't want you to mention Jesus' name. That's still part of our culture. That's still going on today. They still don't like his name. But guys, when we have the aroma of the gospel and we smell like Jesus, there's really not anything they can say. Let me, let me end with this. Uh, if you would, uh, the only hope we have for change is following Jesus. The only hope we have for change is following Jesus. If you would, go back to verse 12, uh, chapter 4, verse 12. And listen to what Peter says. In some ways, this whole section hinges on this, this verse here. This is the, the why. That is so important. Get the gospel out. Why we, in 
uh, introduce people to Christ. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is the only way. If you're here this morning, you're like, man, I need a change. I need my life to be changed. Your only hope for change is Christ. I, I, need, I need real satisfaction. I need real joy in my life. Your only hope is Christ. We live in a world that offers all these different saviors all the time, right? We, we can see it when we, when we think about sports teams, can't we? Uh, I... Um, yeah, uh, so like the Razorbacks, for example. I just use them since we're in Arkansas, right? Not, not hating, I promise. But I, I remember year after year after year, oh, this year we got a good coach. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. Or, man, we got that quarterback. Have you seen that quarterback? National champs, baby. Here we come. And what happens every season? Well, there's always next year. Next year we're going to be good, Right? No amens on that? But, but, but every year we think we have the Savior, we think we have the Messiah, and every year we're wrong. The same thing happens in our life. Man, if I could just get that job, my life would be perfect. If I could just get that girl or that guy, my life would be perfect. If I could just get that house, if I could just get my bank account up to that number, everything would be better. If I could just get, you know, another degree or whatever, then I finally would have satisfaction and joy in my heart. And what happens every time? There's always next year. All of those saviors, they come crumbling down because eventually those things show themselves for what they really are. They're temporary. They're, they're, they're not eternal. They are not our Savior. They are not our God. There's only one Savior. There's only one God. There's only one name given uh, on earth from heaven by which we must be saved, and his name is Jesus. He is the only way for us to be saved. And so I ask you this morning, have you put your faith in Christ? Have you put your faith in the one who died in your place? Have you put your faith in the one who offers you eternal salvation? No matter who you are, if you haven't, why not now? Why not put your faith in him? And if you are a believer and you've trusted on him and he has saved you, then are you allowing him to change the world around you through sharing the gospel, through loving people, through being a part of their lives and paying attention to them? Are you allowing him to work through you? And if not, would you repent? Would you say, Lord, please forgive me for being so selfish to not share the gospel, to not preach the good news of Christ? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that our forgiveness, our salvation is not up to us, but up to you. Lord, I'm reminded this morning that our only hope is Christ. That the only solid ground we can stand on is what the Savior has offered to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us during this time of commitment, God, that we would commit ourselves to sharing the gospel that you have shown us. And God, those who have not put their faith in you, not trusted in you, Lord, I pray that they would realize, God, who Christ is and what they are offered in the gospel and that they would come to know you. Lord, I pray that you be with us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with us and as you stand, we're going to sing. And during this time of singing, 
If you want to come and pray at the altar, you come pray at the altar. If you want to pray right where you are, you pray right where you are. Whatever's going on in your life, would you commit yourself to him this morning? Let's sing. Thank y'all for being here this morning.